Uh, very cool. Who was here last week? Yeah. Nice. Hey, uh, last week, who was here last Sunday morning? Nice, nice. Some of you are like, what? We have morning services? We do. You should come along. They're great. Um, hey, oh, very cool. What, what, did you mention, I can't remember if Ali mentioned, we are here again next week? He did. Cool. I just wanted to make sure you know that here again next week. Hey, so if you were here last Sunday morning, you would have heard for me what I think was for me the best sermon I've heard all year. Right? I don't know about you, but it was, it was on point for me. Jordan uh, started our series about kingdom. Right? And what we're really looking at is, is what does it mean for the kingdom of God to advance? Right? So often in the Bible, we, we hear Jesus especially mention this kingdom. Right? The kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is advancing. The kingdom of God is, is peace. The kingdom of God is justice. And, and yet, what, what is the kingdom? Because right? if the kingdom of God is advancing, if the kingdom of God is this thing, we should really know what it is if we're meant to be a part of it. Yeah? And, and, and so Jordan uh, preached an amazing message. In fact, one of my favorite, it wasn't my favorite points, but actually his point, but my favorite side note was when he told us that we should pay more taxes. Hey, who here would like to pay more taxes? Oh, come on, guys. You know, New Zealand social. Anyway. Um, so, but he had, he had three points. You have to listen to it, right? Some of you are like, what? A sermon where we have to pay more taxes? Now you have to listen to it. If you weren't here last week, jump on SoundCloud or get the Equippers Church app. Who's got a smartphone? It's your semi-intelligent phone, <laughs> a, a reasonably competent phone. Um, if you've got a phone that can download an app, download the Equippers Church app. Uh, and on that, you can say that you belong to Wellington. You are ours. Uh, <laughs> not possessive. Um, but, but say you belong to Wellington, and then you can listen to all of the sermons uh, across the, the months and years. There's a good uh, repository. Big word for you on a 4 p.m. service. Uh, there's a good collection of sermons there. But yes. Jordan's sermon was last week, and his three points were this, that the kingdom of heaven is righteousness, right? It's how we relate to God, that the kingdom of heaven is peace, it's how we relate to others, and finally, the kingdom of heaven is joy, it's how we relate to ourselves. And and tonight, I really want to look at point one and point three again, right? The kingdom of heaven is righteousness, it's how we relate to God, and the kingdom of heaven is joy, it's how we relate to to ourselves. And, and I want to do that by looking at an Old Testament story. Who here likes the Old Testament? You can be honest. Who here thinks that the Old Testament is kind of too long, has got some big names in it, and you can't really follow what happens? Sometimes put up a little bit of hand. It can be a bit of both, right? But what I want to look at is this really interesting story in the Old Testament about a prophet named Elisha. Now, Elisha has a very similar name to Elijah. He's the guy that came after him. So we're going to turn to 2 Kings chapter 6, and we're going to read verses 15 to 17. Do we have that? We'll check it on the screen. Pew, look at that. It says this. Who's got a Bible? It doesn't matter. We've got it on the screen. But good job bringing a Bible. Pat yourself on the back. Yeah, some of you aren't doing it. It's all right. Uh, it says this. When the servant of the man of God got up early the next morning and went outside, there were troops, horses, and chariots everywhere. Oh, sir, what will we do now? The young man cried to Elisha. Don't be afraid, Elisha told him, for there are more on our side than on theirs. Then Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes and let him see. The Lord opened the young man's eyes, and when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. Why don't you bow your heads with me and close your eyes. Let's pray. God, I thank you that we get to come together as your people, Lord. 
God, that we have the honor and the privilege of, of reading your Bible, God. But, but even more than that, we have the honor and the privilege of gathering together, that we get to worship you together, that we get to be a part of this thing called church together. Thank you that, that we're here to spur each other on, God, but that we're, also, we're, we're here to meet with you. God, thank you that you're here, that you're in our midst, that you're, you're, you're speaking, you're waiting to say something to us. And right now, we choose to take this moment to listen to what it is you're saying, God. God, I pray that it, it wouldn't be me, God. I pray that it, it wouldn't be the, the flashy lights or anything like that, God, but that you would speak into our hearts, God. God, that people that walked in with disappointment, people that walked in with hurt, people that walked in with, with pain so pushed down that they forgot that they even had it, that we would walk out healed and whole, God. God, we know you're a loving God. We know you're a healing God. And I pray that, that we would leave here different than when we came in. Thank you, God, that your word does not return void. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're in a movie theater, right? Some of you are like, ah, thought Wellington High School felt different and in a separate part of the city. Right, but we're in a movie theater. So, so really quickly, I want you to turn to your neighbor and tell them your favorite movie. Right? You might have already done this this morning. You might have already told your neighbor. You can tell your neighbor the same movie. Wakash is on his own. There's always someone. Wakash, what's your favorite movie? Barbie and Friends is Wakash's favorite movie. Okay. I haven't seen it. But uh, I would have thought you would have said, like, The Lion King. Nah, Barbie and Friends. Does anyone, anyone got, like, an amazing favorite movie they want to shout out at me? No. <laughs> I thought it was going to be, like, crickets, crickets. Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Yeah. Duncan, your favorite movie? The Matrix, right? Anyone else got a, a favorite movie that just when you think, man, Star Wars, just all of them? Why not? Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou? Nice, nice. Lion King, yeah. Shawshank, it's, it gets me a little bit heavy, but, you know, fair enough, fair enough. Any, any other? Coach Carter, we saw that the other day. What was that? Dark Knight, yep, fair enough, fair enough, my autobiography. Um, <laughs> I'm Batman. Anyway, anyway, my favorite movie, uh, to be honest, and again, just, just ground rules, this is a no-judgment zone, right? Can I, just get, can, can I get a, a little bit of a nod if you promise not to judge me for the next 20 minutes? Right, just 20. 25, you can be like, fuck, you hear what Jono said. What an idiot. Right, 25 minutes. Let's just let me get off the stage so I don't cry on stage. Right, but my favorite movie would, would have to be 10 Things I Hate About You. I don't know why. I, I, I don't know why. We studied it in fifth form English class, and, and it's a rule of the universe that you're meant to hate the movie you study in fifth form English class. Because you start off liking it, and then by the sixth time you've watched it, you're like, I hate this. I think what happened is, is I became conditioned. Right, I watched it so many times that I just, I had to like it. I, I just, I couldn't see anything but the, the amazingness that was within it. I think it was also like the kind of Scar um, soundtrack to it. Man, it's, uh, anyway. Right, for me, I, the, M's favorite type of movies are, are psychological thrillers. Right, she, she loves those movies where, where you don't know who's the bad guy until the very end. Right, where you're not quite sure what's going on, where you don't know if they're, if they're safe or if they're not safe. You don't know if it's in their mind or not. This morning we discussed Shawshank Redemption, which a lot of people love. I just, it gets under my skin. Right, I'm, I'm not a fan of, of psychological thrillers because the whole time I'm watching them, I just can't quite enjoy it. Do you know what I mean? Because you're just wondering the whole time what's going to happen. Who's the bad guy? Who's the good guy? Can I trust this character? I just want somewhere to put my heart. Some of you guys don't get invested in movies like I do. It's all right. That's why I like 10 Things I Hate About You. Right, but, but see, have you ever had a cliffhanger in your life? 
Right, like one of those moments that, that happens in psychological thrillers where you're just not quite sure how things are going to turn out. Who here likes basketball? We always, I did this this morning as well, and it was like three hands. It was me, Luca, and Peel. I was like, cool, that's enough. Right, I really like basketball, especially at the moment. I'm not quite sure why. Uh, I think it's just my suppressed childhood. Anyway, so, so I really like the NBA, which is, you know, if you're watching basketball, it's probably the one you watch. And, and, and a little while ago, about a week ago, there was game seven in the semifinals. To some of you, you're already glazed over. You're like, oh, I'll come back once you want to stop, finish talking about sports. Right, but, but just hear me out, right? Basketball is a game played with an orange ball. You throw it into a hook. No, that was a joke. No? <laughs> wow. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks, Vikash. Um, but, but what happened, right, is game seven was Oklahoma City Thunder versus the Golden State Warriors. Now, for those of you who don't know, everyone in New Zealand is mandatorily needs to support the Oklahoma City Thunder. We need to support the Oklahoma City Thunder because Stephen Adams plays for them. You can support another team. That's fine. But you need to, a little bit of your heart needs to be like, yeah, go Stephen Adams, Kiwis, right? It's just, it's how we work as Kiwis, right? We find another Kiwi somewhere in the world and we pretend that they're our cousin. It's just what we do. Because potentially, for about half of the audience, they are, right? And, and, and so the game seven comes up. In basketball, to win like a round in the finals, you need to win four games. Everyone say four. That's good. That's good, right? So, so game seven would mean that we've already had three games on either side, right? Six games total. So it's come down to the wire. This is it. This is the ultimate, like, who's going to win? Who's going to lose? And so here we are. We're game seven, Oklahoma City Thunder versus Golden State Warriors to get into the finals, right? It's tense. And it gets to one minute 30 from finishing. And the score is 86 to the Oklahoma City Thunder and 90 to the Golden State Warriors, right? It gets to about a minute and it's 88, 90, and, and I'm, I'm at work in my lunch break just refreshing it on the app on my phone because I don't have money to pay so you can actually live stream it, so I just have to keep on refreshing the app so I can see the score, right? I'm like, I'll watch the highlights later, but I need to know what's happening, right? And, and, and there's this moment where my heart starts to soar, right? Because Oklahoma City Thunder, they're coming back. They're going to take it. They're going to go into the finals, and I refresh, and it's 86, and I refresh, and it's 88, and I'm starting to get excited, and then I refresh, and it's like 103 to Golden State Warrior, and, and then they won. But we love that moment in sports, right? It's, sometimes it's hard being an all-black supporter because you don't get it that often because <laughs> we're awesome, right? But, but we love that moment in sports where we're on the edge of our seat. What's going to happen? Where is this going to go? Are we going to win or are we going to lose? But I don't know about you. I hate that moment in my life. See, have you ever woken up and felt like Elisha's servant? Have you ever woken up, walked outside your house, your metaphorical spiritual heart house, opened your heart house door, you have one, right? Stepped outside, looked at what's going on in your life and been like, oh, damn. This is not how I imagined things going. Where did these problems come from? Where did these needs come from? Where did these pains come from? Where did these people who are demanding things of me or, or people who want to see me fail, where did they all, well, why am I all of a sudden surrounded? See, what I really want to look at tonight is, is in life, there's going to be moments where we feel surrounded. In life, there's going to be moments where we feel hemmed in. In life, there's going to be moments where we feel like it's all over. There's nothing we can do. Our head's going to be on a stake by the end of the episode, right? That we're done, that we're cooked, that it's over. And, and then how do we, in that moment, hold the tension of, I'm in this moment and everything is going horribly, and yet the Bible tells me that the kingdom of heaven is forcefully advancing. 
The Bible tells me that the kingdom of heaven is here and it's present and it's pushing forward. That God is here and he's making all things new. That the Redeemer has come and he will be, he already is victorious. That I'm meant to live in victory and yet when I look at my life, it doesn't feel like I'm living in victory. How do we hold this tension of, of God's here, but I can't seem to see him? And if we can't see God, what's stopping us? See, it would have been a, a hard morning for the servant of Elisha. But right? here he is, and, and scholars would tell us that he's probably pretty new to the job. He's pretty new to being the servant of Elisha. Because what happened is there was a servant before him named Gezai. Now, Gezai was a servant of Elisha for quite a while until he got a guy to pay him for Elisha healing that guy of leprosy. And then Elisha found out. And so Elisha says to Gezai, you're fired, and also you now have leprosy. Right, so I don't know about you, I don't know if you've ever kind of stepped in to fill someone's shoes and it was a bit of a high pressure moment. But this is what it is for, for the servant that comes after Gazai. He's like, I better not stuff up because the last guy that did this job and did it poorly didn't just get fired, he got kind of a life altering illness out of it. So here he is, but, but at the same time, there must be a reason that he took the job, right? You're not just like, oh yeah, I'll, I'll take the job where I get to potentially get leprosy. That sounds like a good deal. See, because what happens is Elisha is, is a really uh, influential man in Israel, right? First of all, he's a prophet, which means he's the mouthpiece of God. He's telling the people of Israel what's going on, what God's doing. But, but he also has a superpower. That's right. He's got a superpower. See, what happens is Elisha knows what other people say in their bedrooms, which sounds weird, Right? But, but, but see, what it says in the Bible is, is what's happening is, is the kingdom of Israel is at war. And it says this. It says that one time when the king of Aram, this is the enemy, was at war with Israel, after consulting with his officers, he said, at such and such a place, we're going to set an ambush for the people of Israel. So then Elisha sent a message to the king of Israel. Watch out, because at this place and at this time, the king of Aram is setting an ambush for you. So then the king of Israel is like, well, then we'll get prepared for that. We'll either not go through there or we'll ambush them, right? This won't get us. And, and, and this kind of thing happened all of the time. So, so one day, the king of Aram was furious over all of this, as you would be, and he calls in his officers and, and says to them, tell me, who's leaking out information to the enemy? Who is the spy in our ranks? But one man said, no, master, no, my dear king, it's not us. What is happening is Elisha, the prophet in Israel, he tells the king of Israel everything you say, even what you whisper in your bedroom. See, so not only is Elisha the prophet, not only is he the word of God to the people of Israel, he's also the most advanced technology and surveillance and counterterrorism that anyone has ever seen, right? He's like a surveillance drone without the million billion dollar price tag. He knows what the enemy is going to do before they do it. And so he's precious to the nation of Israel. Right, so so the, the, the servant of Elisha probably gets to walk down the street like, hey, you know, there's a bit of swag attached with the, with the title. He's walking down, and he's like, yeah, no, I'm with Elisha. Yeah, he knows what you're saying in your bedroom, and maybe I do too. I don't, but, you know, I'm just walking with Elisha. See, so it's a cool job to have. But at the same time, not only is there a little bit of pressure that, you know, maybe if you make a mistake, you might get leprosy. Because Elisha is, is so effective, because he's so instrumental to keeping the nation of Israel safe, there's a target on his head. The king of Aram says, we need to kill this guy. We need to capture this guy. We need to do something about this guy because he's, he's ruining everything. I'm trying to take over Israel here and I can't make any ground because they always know what's going to happen. And so here we are. 
the king of Aram has sent an army to a place called Dotham, where Elisha is, is camped. It's a city. And so he sends this army, and, and so there you are, you're, the, you're Elisha's servant. And this morning he opens the door, right? He looks out of his house out over the city and sees surrounding the city hundreds of hundreds, thousands of enemy infantry. He sees thousands of enemy archers. He sees chariots ready to come for him. It's the BC equivalent of red laser lights on your chest, right? He knows that he's in trouble. And and so, you know, the the Bible's only really short, so whenever I read it, I always kind of make it longer and imagine what would have happened, right? So I can imagine the servant kind of standing at the door like, oh, snap. Right, and so, so he calls to Elisha. He's like, Elisha. Elisha, I'm in trouble. Right, and Elisha comes and he's like, what's up? What's the matter? He's like, look, it's kind of an army here to kill us. We don't have an army. We're in trouble, right? And, and Elisha says to him, don't be afraid. Right, if I was the servant, I would have been like, Elisha, you're crazy. Elisha, you have lost it. You've been talking to God too much. You stared too long at the sun and, and it's ruined your brain, right? You're gone. Because here you are, you're telling me not to be afraid, and we're surrounded by problems. Here you are, you're telling me not to be afraid, and we're, we're surrounded by enemies. And, 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 and then Elisha says to him, there are more on our side than on theirs. Right? If I was a servant, I would have done some quick counting. I looked out, thousands. Looked in, me, Elisha. Two is not more than thousands. Some of you are still sitting at NCA level one. It's all right. I can tell you that if you write that down, you'll get it right. What is more, thousands or two? More is thousands, right? So here he is. He's like, what are you talking about, Elisha? There's two of us and there is thousands of them. There's an army coming to kill us. And then Elisha prays, oh Lord, open his eyes and let him see. The servant looks outside once more, and he still saw the soldiers with their armor and their weapons, but now that wasn't all he saw. It says in the Bible, when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire, a bigger and far more powerful army. See, my first point tonight, I've only got two, is that those in the kingdom, if we're going to be in the kingdom, if we're going to live a kingdom life, those in the kingdom see God in the unseen. That the kingdom of heaven is righteousness. It changes how we relate to God. Those that are in the kingdom see God where others can't. See, see what's happening here and what's so important about this story is that the angels didn't show up when the servant's eyes were opened. It wasn't like all of a sudden the angels appeared. The angels were there the entire time. It was when Elisha prayed, God, open his eyes, that suddenly the servant saw them. See, see, what's going on here is is that they were there, but he couldn't see them. They were present, but invisible. See, the servant was staring at them every time he looked outside. So why could Elisha see the unseen army before the servant could? Because Elisha saw them the whole time. Right, so, so if, if in our lives we need to be one of two people, we have one of two approaches to take when we're encountering problems in our life, when we feel like we're at a cliffhanger, when we feel hemmed in and when we feel under pressure, when we feel like the enemy is at our gate and we don't know what to do, how do we behave more like Elisha and see the help that's already there rather than having someone have to open our eyes for us like the servant? 
See, see, I think the reason that Elisha could see the army is because he was an expert at seeing God where others couldn't. Did you know that Elisha performed the most miracles in the Old Testament? Right? I don't know. That might come in a trivia quiz at the pub next week. You'll win now. Right? See, see, really quickly, I want to run you through some miracles that Elisha performed where he saw things others couldn't. Is that all right? Turn to your neighbor and say, get ready. You need to say it like you're not in a movie theater. <laughs> I know you are. But turn to your neighbor one more time and say, get ready. There's way better, way better. All right, 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 19 to 22. Right, Elisha encounters a well, right, that the people in this town, they take him to this well, and they say this, this spring, this well, it used to be good, but now we pull it out and the water smells like poo. And then when we drink it, we get sick and some of us die. Elisha's probably like, yeah, well, you probably shouldn't drink water that smells like poo is the first thing. Right, so they're like, man, this, this water is polluted. This spring is polluted. This, this city has grown up around the spring, and, and now the city's going to die because we can't drink this water. So Elisha gets them to bring him a bowl with some salt in it, takes the salt out of the bowl, sprinkles it over the spring, prays for it, and the spring becomes clean again. It says in the Bible that the spring is clean even unto thus, this day, just as Elisha said. See, so Elisha comes in and he sees a spring that's polluted being clean. Elisha sees where everyone else saw pollution. Elisha sees transformation. And in 2 Kings chapter 3, verse 16, Elisha sees provision where everyone else sees disaster. Right, the army of Israel are riding against the Moabites. They ride against people a lot in the Old Testament, right? Just another different army that they're fighting against. And halfway to, to fighting this enemy army, halfway there, they find themselves in this valley. And in this valley, there's no water, and they realize that they've run out of water. And, and their horses are like, nah, we ain't going nowhere. We're thirsty. And so they stop. The horses had like a weird southern accent. That's just how all horses, trust me. Right? And, and so they're there, and they're in this valley, and they're like, what are we going to do? And Elisha says to them, dig some ditches. They're like, weird, okay, so they dig some ditches, thinking maybe the ditches, you know, maybe there's a hidden spring. But they dig some ditches, and, and there's nothing, and they're like, Elisha, you suck, right? Like, where's our water? We're going to die. We're stuck here. The Moabites are going to ride in on us and kill us. The ditches will be good for nothing but collecting our blood. A bit uh, morbid, right? But, but there they are, and, and, and there's, not a, there's not a cloud in the sky, and Elisha's like, don't worry. Let's just go to bed. It'll be fixed in the morning. Right, so, so the army goes to bed, they lie down, they put their, their heads on a rock because that's what you did in those days. Some of you thought your bed was uncomfy. Just think about that. Put some oil on a rock. That's what they did. Right, so there they are. They, they go to sleep, and in the middle of the night, there's a flash flood. Right, the, the, the valley is, is filled with water, but as quickly as it's filled with water, it empties out. Right, as quickly as the water is there, the water is gone. But because they dug ditches, the ditches collect this fresh water, and the army is able to, to refill their, 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 their supplies. The, the horse is able to drink, and disaster is averted. See, where everyone else saw disaster, Elisha sees provision. He saw a downpour where everyone else saw a drought. One more, uh, 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 2 to 7. Elisha encounters a widow. Right, and this widow, her husband has just died, and, and since he's died, her, his debts have gone to her. But now she doesn't have any way of paying them, and his debts are many. Right, so many that, that his, his debtors, the people that he owed money to, have come to him and they've said, come to her, sorry, and they've said, we're going to take your sons into slavery. 
That's how we're going to sort out your debts. That's how we're going to resolve this situation. Your sons are now going to be slaves. And so understandably, this woman is distraught. Understandably, this woman is like, man, I, I, that, what am I going to do? And so Elisha says to her, what do you have in your house? She's like, nothing. We've sold everything. We still can't pay off these debts. All I have is one little jar of olive oil. And so Elisha says to her, you and your sons need to go around all of your neighbors, all of your friends, all of your family, and get as many pots as you can. Get them all together, and then go into your house, get all these pots together, shut your door, and start pouring the oil into the pots. And so this lady must have been pretty bemused, but she does it. She takes it, and she starts pouring this oil into these pots, and, and she pours, and, and one pot fills up. She's like, man, I didn't think there was this much oil in this jar. And so she pours it into another pot and another pot, and the oil keeps on flowing until every pot that they bought into their house is filled, so much so that they have enough uh, pots of oil to exchange for the freedom of her sons. The debts are repaid, and they can live off that oil for the rest of their life. See, where everyone else saw bondage, Elisha saw freedom. See, but what I think we need to understand here is, is each of these times, Elisha is seeing God intervening for someone else, right? So often in our life, I know so often for me in my life, the first time I really honestly look for where God is in a situation is when it's really serious for me, right? I'm like, man, God, I'm in trouble. Where are you? Right? See, what Elisha did is he grew this muscle of faith. He developed a habit in his life of looking to see where God was when other people needed him. God, where are you when my friend needs you? God, where are you when my family member needs you? God, where are you when my workmate needs you? And then he believed for them like he would believe for himself. So when he was surrounded by enemies, it wasn't hard for him to say, God, you've come through for the lady with the oil. God, you came through for the army. God, you made the spring clean. God, you gave that barren woman a child. God, you brought that child back to life. I know you're a God of miracles because I've seen you do it again and again and again. So where are you in this situation? See, maybe in our lives, we come up against problems and we're wondering where God is, but we haven't learned to look for Him because this is the first time we've prayed. Right? We're like, God, I need your help now. How do you pray again? Do you get down on your knees? Do you cross your hands? What do you say again? What are the magic words? Right, right. It would be as if I was Dan Carter, which is close resemblance, right? It's not hard to suspend your disbelief. Obviously, Dan Carter wishes he looked like me, but, uh, you know, some of us win the genetic lottery and some of us don't, right? So it'd be, it would be like Dan Carter coming out to, to kick the final conversion in, in the World Cup final and being like, ah, oh, just realized, never practiced doing this. I guess it'll just work out, right? After all, I'm, you know, I'm here. But how often in our lives do we approach our faith like that? Oh God, I need you now, and so I suppose it'll, it'll just work out. I suppose I'll just know how to pray. Right? If you're in that situation, God will come through for you, but maybe it would be easier if we learned how to pray beforehand, and also maybe we have people who need us to believe for them. Right? See, the kingdom of God is in the unseen. Where can we see God in the unseen? See, see, here's the thing. It doesn't say that Elisha prayed and the Lord sent horses and chariots. It says that the servants saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. They were already there, 
The servant just couldn't see them. Elisha could. Where is God with us, but we can't see him? Where is God already here? See, the question is never, is God with me? That's never the question. The question is always, can I see God? God, I know you're in this situation. God, I know you're with me. God, I know you're on the hills. God, I know you're surrounding my life. I just can't see you right now. God, I believe, help my unbelief. Right, see, my second point and my final point as Wakash comes up is that those in the kingdom see God through their enemies. The kingdom of heaven is joy. It changes how we relate to ourselves. See, when God opened the servant's eyes to see the unseen army, he still saw the enemy soldiers. Right? They, they, they didn't go away. So why was he no longer afraid of them? Why was the servant no longer afraid of the enemy army? See, because we can read this and we can think that the angels are, are standing between Elisha and the problems. Right? Let, let's see if this will work. Let's think that uh, this this will work. Let's think that this is the enemy army, right? Scary podium. Look at it. Wow. I don't think you got suspend your disbelief. This is scary, right? Look at it. Feel terrified. Look, it's black. It's made it. It's got angles. Who knows what this thing's for? It might fall on your head. It could kill you, right? This is a scary, scary thing. Yeah? Everyone feeling scared by the... Yep. Yeah? I don't need to keep on laboring the point. Okay, cool. And over here, we have the prophet Elisha. You look mighty property today. Well done. Well done. He's got his lambskin. Anyway, right? So we've got the prophet Elisha. And I don't know about you, but I read this, this scripture and I like to think that the angel army, that's me, right? Obviously, right? I like to think that the angel army comes between the, the enemies and Elisha, right? Stands there and is like, nah, you, you're not getting through, right? Like a divine bouncer, like a holy wall is like, nah, Right, nothing is, is coming, you're not getting through this. Because that's what we want, right? We want a God who jumps in front of our problems and is like, no, stop. This isn't coming at you. Right, I'm protecting you. We pray prayers like, like, God, I pray that I would never have any need. Which makes sense, right? Who wants need in their life? We pray prayers like, God, you know, now that I'm a Christian, I don't want to ever suffer again. God, now, now that I'm a Christian, I want everything to, to always be all right, right? We want to hide behind the angels because it says the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. But this is important because we need to understand that if we're living in the kingdom, we see things differently. If we're living in the kingdom, our help is here. God is with us. But we also need to understand that the hills aren't inside the city. So the army of God isn't around Elisha facing out. The army of God is around the enemy facing in. See, and this changes things significantly because what it means is that the enemy is around the city, right? And the hills are around the enemy. And so that means the army of God is surrounding the enemies from the outside in. See, we want God to protect us from the inside out. We want God to, to never let us have any hardship, to protect us from hardship. We pray prayers like, God, don't let anything bad happen to me. Don't let any need come into my life. It, it, as if our faith is supposed to isolate us. But that doesn't make sense because if you couldn't see the problems, if you weren't aware of them, eventually you'd forget that they existed. 
Right, if the whole time the army of God stood here and, and the prophet Elisha could never see the problems, could never see the need, could never see the hurt, maybe, just maybe, as human nature is wont to do, he would stop thinking that it's the army protecting him and start thinking, maybe there's something special about me. Maybe this army isn't riding up on me because I'm awesome. Maybe this army isn't attacking me because I'm formidable because I'm impressive. In fact, maybe it's not God. Maybe it's me. Maybe I'm God. Maybe I don't need God. In fact, God, maybe you can leave. Maybe I'll stop going to church. Maybe I'll stop praying. Life's working out all right. What do I need God for? I don't feel like he's adding anything to my life. I don't have any needs. I don't have any wants. My pains are pushed down so low inside of me that I forgot that they're there, except for those moments where they burst out. Right, see, see, what's happening here is that we would think that it's us, that we're the ones that are defending our life. And then before we know it, we've asked God to leave. And then when the army rides up on us, we're surprised. Like, where did this come from? I thought that I was safe. I thought that I was secure. I thought that the things that I'd surrounded myself with were going to protect me from this. I thought that the career I'd built for myself was going to make me feel good. I thought that the, the people that I thought that loved me, I thought that love was going to define me. Why now is this army riding up on me? Why now are these needs approaching me? Why now is this pain on top of me? And I can't deal with it when I was relying on me to be God. See, see, what's happening here is that God doesn't create need, but He uses the need as a lens for us to see Him through. See, more often than not, God will protect us in hardship. More often than not, He's surrounding what's surrounding us. And, and you might be here today and you're saying, John, I'm pretty sure He's not because when I look out at my life, all I can see are the problems. When I look out at my life, all I can see are my needs. When I look out at my life, all I can see is my pain. When I look out at my life, all I can see is my failure and my frustration and my guilt. I can't see God. And maybe, just maybe, that's because God's standing behind your problems and He's saying you need to look through them. You need to see through your problems and see that I'm the God of angel armies standing on the hill saying it's going to be all right. There are more of us than there are of them. See, see, what's happening here is when I look in the mirror, sometimes I don't see God. But that's not because He's not there. When I look at my life, sometimes I don't see God. But that's not because He's not with me. It's just because sometimes God's saying, look a little bit harder and you'll see a whole lot more. See, see, what's going on here is I'm not going to try and imagine what you're going through tonight. I'm not going to try and imagine what this is for you, what your needs are, what, what your pain is. But maybe we can't see the army on the hill because we're too distracted by the enemy in front of us. If you're here today and you're feeling hemmed in, you're feeling under pressure. You're, you're feeling that you've been asking yourself again and again, God, where are you? I just want you to go away with one idea. That sometimes we can't see it. And when we can't see God's help, it's behind our problems. That God wants to show you His strength, but you might have to see it through your weakness. You might need to see that your help is coming from the hills and that the hills are surrounding the city and that the enemy is around your city and God is in the hills. So to see God, you might just have to look through your enemies. 
What would happen tonight if God wants to show you His supply, but the way that He shows you His supply is through your need? What would happen tonight if God wants to show you His faithfulness, but the way that He shows you His faithfulness is through your failure? That God wants to show you His love, but the way that He's going to show you His love is through your pain. See, see, we pray, we, we read scriptures like Philippians 4.19, my God shall supply all your need, and we think that we won't have any need. We think, we think that that means we'll be fine. But we live in a fallen world. We will have need. It's a foregone conclusion. The world is broken and aching, and God didn't break it, and God is repairing it. But He's also in the midst of that balance, that, that dichotomy, that frustration of things aren't as they should be, and I know things will be good, but where are we now? And that's the space the kingdom is advancing. That's the space where God is pushing forward. He's saying, yes, you've got need. Yes, it's broken. Yes, it hurts. And I'm going to show you that I'm amazing in it. You know, Last year for me was the worst year of my life. Hands down. Don't even have anything that compares. Well, I, I started the year and, and I started in a new job and I was like, this job is going to be amazing. And I got into the job and I was like, this job is not amazing. And so I toughed it out for three months, obviously, you know. Um, anyway. And then I went into a new job and I was like, this job is going to be amazing. And I got into the job, and it was worse than the other job, right? I had a boss who would just yell at me every day, and I was doing everything right, and, and she was just mean. And I was like, God, what are you doing? God, I, 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 I just spent two years working at church, right? I just spent two years putting my career on hold, putting myself in this place of, I don't know what's going to happen. And I felt like God said to me, I'll reward you for this. Don't worry, I've got your back. Don't worry, I've got you in this. And here I was in the exact opposite of what that should look like. And so I was frustrated. I was like, God, what's happening? Where's your provision? Where are you coming through for me? God, all I can see are my enemies. But you know, in that moment, in those days where going to work was painful, physically painful, painful. I saw more of God than I'd ever seen before because I had to look through my problems. I had to realize, God, you can meet all my needs because my work is not giving me anything. God, you can restore my joy because every day I am diminished and depressed. God, you can give me a hope and a future because every day I'm deflated. And so I started to see that things started to pick up, right? It was going all right. I got into a better job. I was like, things are finally working. And then in August of last year, my nephew died. I don't know if you've ever had someone close to you pass away. He was 18 months old. And I was like, God, I've already been through this this year. I feel like I've been knocked down and I've just managed to stand back up. And the pain that I thought, I'd, man, I'd never know pain like that. That was horrible. Now that seems insignificant. Now that seems like nothing. Now here I am, down lower than I've ever been. God, what, where are you in this? And I know that in that situation, God didn't will the breaking. I know that in that situation, that was not His intent. But I also know that in that situation, God bought beauty for ashes that he came into that situation and he said, you've got enemies pressing in on you. That, that pain did not go away. That, that, that morbid feeling in my heart didn't leave for months. I felt broken. 
And yet I could see God more clearly in those moments than I ever have before. See, I would not, I would never wish any of those things, any of those experiences on my worst enemy, and yet I wouldn't change one of them. Because in those moments I saw God, and I saw Him through my enemies. I saw Him through my need. And when I saw Him through them, I saw who He was in a bigger way. It was like I had a frame of reference. I knew God was big, but it was only when I saw that He was bigger than the biggest pain I could imagine, I realized how big He really was. See, tonight you might be here, and you might be like I was last year. You feel hemmed in. You feel crushed. You feel like, like enemies are coming at you from every side. You feel like every morning you wake up and you, you open the door and you look outside and you're surrounded by problems. You're surrounded by needs, by emergencies, by pain. You're praying, God, where are you? Because I can't see anything on the hills. See, tonight I want to tell you that God is on the hills. That He's waiting there. He's waiting for you and He's on your side. And those things that the enemy brought against you to kill you, those things that the enemy brought against you to, to destroy you, those weapons that the enemy brought against you will not prosper. That God will be faithful in that moment and He will not return it void. That He will stand with you in that moment and say, this is not happening. This enemy rode up on you and they thought that they were going to win this battle, but they're not. See, so just as we all bow our heads and close our eyes. See, you might be here and, and you're in that space. That space of pain. That space of loneliness. You can't see God anywhere. Your life looks like it was written by someone who intended you ill. See, what I want to do is, is we're going to do two things. The first thing I want to do is I just want to pray for us. I want to pray for what we can see, that God would change our vision. And then I'm going to give you an opportunity if you're here and you don't know God, if you're here and you know that God's not your God, that the, the angel armies of heaven are not surrounding you because somewhere along the line, you tried to take responsibility for defending your own life. And I want to give you an opportunity to put things in the right place. But first, I want to pray that we can see. So bow your heads and close your eyes with me. God, thank you that you are with us. God, that you are strong, that you are mighty, that you are on our side. And God, we know that there are problems. God, we know that there are pains. God, we know that things might be pushing in on us, pressing in on us, crushing us down, hemming us in, that we, we might feel like there's no way out, like we can't see past these problems. And yet we know that you are there just outside what we can currently see. And God, I pray that we would not see just the enemies any longer, God that we would not just see the things that are pushing in on us, but you would give us eyes to see that you are on the hill. They would give us eyes to see that you are with us, that you are for us, that you are riding up and, and that you will deliver us. God, help us to know that you are with us, that you love us, that you have good intentions for us. And if you're here tonight and, and you know that, that at the moment it's all you, that at the moment you're defending your life. And you don't know why it happened. Maybe somewhere along the way you decided, actually, I think I can do a better job than you can, God. Or maybe you've just realized right now, I think I'm fighting battles that aren't intended for me. 
I think I'm trying to defeat things that only God can defeat. I need God back in my life. If you're here tonight and you know you need to make that decision, to pray a prayer, to ask God to come into your heart, to be your God, that you can't handle being God anymore, I just want you to raise your hand in just a minute just to let me know who I'm praying with. So if that's you here tonight, if you want to pray this prayer, if you know that God needs to be your God, I just want you to raise your hand now and let me know you're praying with me. Just going to give it a few moments. Awesome. I think I've seen one hand. Is anyone else here tonight that wants to pray this prayer that's saying, God, I need you in my life. I can't do this on my own anymore. I just want you to pray this prayer after me. Dear God, thank you for loving me. Thank you that I don't have to do it on my own anymore. But you're with me. Today, I choose to follow you. I'm sorry for what I've done, for making other things God. And today, I make you God. I love you. Thank you. Amen. Awesome.